Yeah. It's been a ride. I guess I had to go to that place to get to this one. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche got a win against the Arizona Coyotes 4-3. to three. We broke that down in a bit, but now the uh, meat and potatoes comes next for the Avalanche. They knocked off the uh, subpar Coyotes, second to last in the Central. Now they get the Vancouver Canucks, the best team in hockey, 37-14-6, 80 points. They are way ahead of virtually everybody else when you're talking about uh, the, the games played, the games in hand, the total points. Vancouver's been tremendous, and they've done it with both balanced scoring and good goaltending. Even though they have lost their last two, they are still atop the NHL. Joining us now to talk about it is Mile High Sports' Arif Dean, the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast, and, of course, all the coverage on MileHighSports.com. You can follow him on social at RunRightArif. That's A-A-R-I-F. And, uh, uh, Arif, you are uh, headed to the Motor City for this game. Uh, let, let's start with the idea of, before we get into this game in particular, the longtime Avs-Red Rings rivalry that, that I think splitting these te- teams up and moving Detroit over to the Eastern Conference, I think it really uh, eliminated that. But is there still any sense or fondness for that rivalry uh, in Detroit like there is a little bit in Colorado? Absolutely. Uh, for the listeners that are not aware, I grew up in Detroit and uh, going to the Joe Lewis Arena every year, and now obviously Little Caesars Arena, it's very similar to when you go to Ball Arena. It's very similar where you see they actually do it more in Detroit because they have the bigger highlights, the, the Darren McCarty, Claude Lemieux thing where he, you know, tackled him and, and took him down, you know, as revenge and retribution for the Draper hit and all that. It's on the jumbotron every single time the avalanche are there they show it at some point during a commercial break it heights up the crowd they show patrick wall bloodied up with mike vernon in that fight like they always find a way to reference the rivalry um there is still a fondness for it and and like at ball arena you know every time the red wings are in town the last four or five years you hear red wings sub chance at one point in the third period that fondness i don't think will ever go away it may not go away, but I'm I'm old-fashioned, and you reference Joe Lewis. This rivalry was born out of Joe Lewis Arena and McNichols Arena in Denver. It wasn't born in Little yeah. Caesars. It didn't develop there. It wasn't born at Ball Arena or Pepsi Center. It was born yeah. at Old McNichols in 95-96 and at Joe Lewis Arena, of course, in, in Detroit for uh, many years, long after uh, the Avs had moved into Pepsi Center, what is now Ball Arena. Uh, the Red Wings were still playing in Joe Lewis. Uh, so I, I, I think there was some substance there um, to it. I, I, and, and the outdoor game was good. I, I like the fact that a few years back they played the outdoor game at Coors Field, and, and, and that, that was a good deal, not like the Air Force disaster that we all remember from uh, four years yeah. ago. I thought the outdoor game was good. And, uh, of course, as we all know from the 30 for 30 and uh, other sources, uh, Lemieux and McCarty are now very close friends, good friends. Talk all the time. They did kind of a roundtable symposium together as part of that 30 for 30 uh, deal. And um, uh, so it, even some of the bad blood that for some people like Chris Draper will never go away, um, 
some of the bad blood's gone too. But in any case, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Vancouver Canucks are the real deal. Uh, People don't generally associate the Canucks with a Stanley Cup contender, but there's no doubt that Vancouver is, uh, however many games they've lost recently, I think they're 6-2-2, the Canucks are in their last 10. That's a bona fide Stanley Cup contender right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Since we're mentioning the Vancouver Canucks, have you guys seen what happened in their game earlier this afternoon against Minnesota? I, I actually had not seen it as we're preparing for this show. Oh, I, I, well, I'm so happy that I get to share this with you. So the Vancouver Canucks are on a back-to-back tomorrow when they come into Denver. They just lost in Minnesota. They had a 5-2 to two lead. They lost 10-7. to seven. They gave up You're six kidding. goals. In, I'm, they gave up six goals in a span of five minutes and 45 seconds. And three players in that game had a hat trick. Two for the Wild, Joel Eriksson-Eck and... Kirill Kaprizov and one for the Canucks and Elias Pettersson, the first NHL game to have three hat tricks in the same game since 1992. For reference, I was born a year after that. Yeah, so in your lifetime. What, <laughs> yeah, This exactly. is the first. That's what, yeah. that's what the Avalanche are going up against tomorrow. Um, they are going up against a team looking to rebound from that. Granted, the biggest thing to take into account from that loss they obviously went with Casey DeSmith, who's a more than capable NHL backup. He's been yeah. incredible this year. But it wasn't. But that means it wasn't the starter. The Avalanche, the Avalanche will get the starter. The Avalanche will get the Vezina Trophy hopeful in Thatcher Demko yep. uh, tomorrow, who, despite giving up for uh, for all Casey DeSmith, because there were two empty netters at the end, because it was an eight to seven lead. Yeah. Despite giving up eight goals on twenty-five shots, yeah. Ooh, not they did. The they did not pull him. Uh, DeSmith with the six-eighty save percentage. They didn't pull him. I think looking yeah. at this game no, going forward, you, yep. you know, you'll get him on the back. They could have given and, up twenty goals. And yeah, and that part's yeah. good. I guess you figure, you know, they they just coughed up ten. They played the last night. That's good. The drawback, as you pointed out, they also still scored seven. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking yeah. about a team. Yeah. great offensive yeah. team. So I don't think this will have much of an effect on tomorrow's game because, I mean, you know, let's face it, the Arizona Coyotes came into Denver 0-8-1 in their last yeah. – 0-7-1 in their last eight yeah. and damn near ended the streak. <laughs> like, they, they looked good against the Avalanche. I think what I took away from yesterday's game from the Avalanche standpoint now, heading into this game against the Vancouver Canucks, is usually when you're, you know, when you're on the tail end of a long winning streak, you start to see some bad habits develop. And you kind of can tell, like, this team's about to lose their streak, they're about to lose their schneid, and, and uh, they're kind of getting lucky to squeak out these wins. And it also works in the flip. Like, the vice versa way also works. In terms of when you're in a slump like the Avalanche has been, it's almost like there's a lot of bad luck in those games where, like, Yesterday's game, the Avalanche came away with a 4-3 to victory. Yes, I know there were some waved-off goals from both sides. They came away with a 4-3 to victory in a game that they should have and probably would have won 6-3 to or 7-3 to had it been pretty much any other time in the regular season. They were just so snake-bit where it was the type of game, and they did have some bad stretches in the first period especially, but it was the type of game where the habits of playing good hockey were developing enough to say – we are working our way out of a slump. It started in Washington. They had the same thing going in Tampa Bay outside of the third period where it all kind of went to hell against uh, the Lightning. But you can start to see them developing habits where 
you can tell, like, the Avalanche are about to go on a nice run, another, you know, 13-3-1 run. Like, the habits are there. They just need to get a little bit more lucky and hopefully, I'll repeat it again, get Val Nachushkin back to help with that. Yeah, looking at the situation with the Chuskin, you know, presumably they're hoping that it would be reasonably soon. But they, they yeah. did get the win with that. And Zach Parise starting to settle in. What have you thought about uh, the existing lines as they stand, with Parise being uh, there and, and as you're seeing you know Wood and Colton and O'Connor kind of start to blossom? Uh, the line with Kivaranta was, was I, th- I thought, solid enough. Yeah. Uh, until they have Nachushkin, do you feel that they have uh, enough here that they're not going to be very aggressive in the trade deadline just a couple of weeks away to try to reinforce the forwards. No, absolutely not. This is an incomplete forward court. This is a forward court that needs Val Nichushkin, and even when you get Val Nichushkin, you probably need one more piece. Uh, I continue to reference, I've been talking about this for weeks on the podcast, and every other radio appearance I've done for the last couple of weeks. The Avalanche in 2021-22 were the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League. They were battling for the President's Trophy. They were stacked. They had a lot of pieces, and they still felt the need to add Sturm, Cogliano, and Lekkinen, and Manson, and the only player they took off the roster was Tracy Joseph. If that team needed three additions to the lineup, there's no way this team could not have that. I mean, what we're seeing, and, and I keep going back to the center depth, even with a healthy Frederick Olison who's in the lineup, Jared Bednar still felt the need to play Chris Wagner coming off of his torn Achilles injury and, and, and uh, season debut with the Avs. He tried him at fourth line center, which says to me the Avalanche aren't just looking to find a fit for the second line center role. They need help at center in general. They need another fourth line center and have Olison as your extra. Presumably in my, in my scenario, Ryan Johansson's off the roster. But all of this is to say with Val Nichushkin back, I still think the Avalanche need two forward additions. And you can allocate that any way you want, whether it's a second-line center and a fourth-line center, whether it's two middle six guys of, like, the Lars Eller caliber, the Nemesnikov caliber from 2020. And, in my opinion, two more pieces added to this roster, and that's taking into account that Zach Parisi just joined the roster because they don't have depth. Before the Zach Parisi signing, they were one injury away from Curtis McDermott. Now you're one injury away from Yoel Kiviranta. You don't want to be one injury away from Yoel Kiviranta. You want to have Kiviranta and Olafson as your 13 and 14 and 12 guys playing above them. Because as we saw in 2022, you're going to have injuries. Cogliano had that injury against Nashville. Newhook missed some time. Berkey ended up missing the end of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Val Nichushkin had a broken foot and dang near missed time. Kadri got injured. Like, you need more than just an extra body or 12 good players. You need Olison and Kiviranta to be 13 and 14 so that you're three injuries away from a McDermott in the playoffs instead of just one. What does the recent um, burst of productivity from Byram mean? Uh, it means that he looks more like the guy that we saw the last three, four years. And it means more like uh, people like me are going to continue to speculate if that's the guy that gets traded, whether it's in the, at the deadline or in the offseason. Um, because I don't remember if I've said it on this show, but I, if you ask me which of the defensemen are going to get dealt after Devontae signed that extension, to me it's Bowen Byram because that's a guy that deserves 
to get an opportunity to be a number one somewhere. It's kind of like how uh, Seth Jones and Ryan Suter were both kind of playing behind Shea Weber forever. They had to go to another team to spread their wings and fly. Samuel Gerard doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to do that somewhere. Bowen Byram does. So seeing him play this well, if the Avalanche are considering, and there's no sources behind this, it's just me speculating, if they're considering trading him at the deadline, all this does is help. If they're considering trading him in the offseason, all this does is help. Obviously, he's under contract until the end of next season, so you can play out the rest of this year and next year with him. And if that's the route they take, what he's done the last three games is a step in the right direction of getting the Bowen Byram healthy and scoring the way that he should, which is two things that he doesn't always have kind of working for you in the right direction. He's a young player, and he's, he's, you know, the, the sky is the limit for him. We're talking with Eric Dean of Mile High Sports about the Avalanche. And the last time we had you, Eric, you suggested on the road trip that the Avalanche needed to make a trade for a backup goaltender right then. Not the deadline, but right then. Of course, uh, yeah. since then, it just seems like nothing really has changed, that Georgiev is going to get the lion's share of the work. Do you think the Avalanche really are going to pursue a backup goaltender? If so, what are they waiting for? I think they're waiting on the price of the goaltender to drop. Uh, which the unfortunate about, thing about that is that the longer it takes for the price to drop, the more you're overworking your starting goalie to the point where, like, what are you going to do the last 17 games? Play the backup eight times and Georgie nine times? Like, I don't see that happening no matter who they acquire. Um, so right now the goalie market is really hot. And, and uh, if it were up to me, the Avalanche have already made a move by now. But... If the goalies on the market are commanding a higher value than what you're willing to give up, you don't want to end up in a situation like last year where you traded a 2025 second rounder for Lars Eller. And now we look back at it 11 months ago, 11 months later, and say, in hindsight, that was a terrible deal and not needed in any way, shape, or form. Um, You don't want to end up in that scenario. And I think the calculated approach that Jared Bednar, or not Jared Bednar, sorry, Chris McFarlane and Joe Sackick take is they take things like that into account. I think they got kind of hamstrung into a into a scenario last year where yeah, they well, the injuries did that. The injuries, yeah, yeah, the, the injuries did it, and it was kind of like the injuries, the pressure, like they were hamstrung into a spot where if we don't make a deal, it is not looking good for us. So I think that kind of played a factor in it, and you don't want to end up in a situation like that. If that means Eustace Annanen gets a couple games, and now Ivan Prosvitov, who has just named the goalie of the week in the AHL with a 3-0-0 record, gets another opportunity, and then Annanen, and you just keep juggling these guys until you find someone on March 8th, then I guess that might be the approach they take. Um, I just can't see a scenario where on March 9th we're not talking about a goalie addition, and I think that goalie addition can't be someone like last year, Keith Kincaid, or a couple years ago, Johansson, or, or Dubnik at the end of his career. Like, it's got to be a, a, a reasonable backup, similar to the guy in Vancouver who, hilariously enough, just gave up eight goals yeah. on uh, 25 shots. You need a caliber of that goal. Would Jake Allen maybe be the best candidate of the goaltenders conceivably available? The only thing that I don't like about that game is, uh, I think he, yes, Yes, he's a great goalie, and he's the kind of goalie you would want as your backup in terms of that level of play. The only thing I don't like about that name is he's got another year on his deal. And having a player with another year on his deal, it kind of puts you in a situation similar to what you just had with Ryan Johansson, where 
I don't think the Avalanche should be committing to a backup goalie from today for the 24-25 season. They should be getting a rental now and in the offseason when there's a you know goalie carousel that happens every year, that's when you can decide. Do we want to sign the guy we acquired at the deadline or do we want to go out and sign a UFA like Lauren Brossoir or, or Charlie Lindgren who uh, who the capital signed a couple of years ago, so on and so forth. So I just don't think they should commit to somebody for next season from now. They should get someone more like Marc-Andre Fleury uh, is a name that sticks out to me. And, you know, I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but a goalie with one year left on his deal, who was a reasonable backup, similar to what Francois is giving you the last couple of years, similar to what Jake Allen can do, similar to what Casey DeSmith has been doing all year for Vancouver before today. Just don't commit past this season unless you are absolutely sure he's the guy and you're not going to end up in another Ryan Johansson situation. He is Arif Dean. Make sure you give him a follow on social at RunRightArif. That's A-A-R-I-F. And, of course, the Avs take on the Canucks tomorrow. And then later in the week, they will take on the Detroit Red Wings. I'll be at number 38 in Rhino hosting uh, a watch party there. So make sure you come on out, say hi, and check out the game. It'll be an awful lot of fun. Arif, appreciate it. Have a safe travels, and we'll, we'll catch you soon. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks so much. Arif Dean joins us there talking about the, uh, the the matchups the rest of the week for the Avs. It, it is interesting to think about how that'll go. And we'll talk about it, you know, a bit more tomorrow as well. But, you know, you have a you have a team playing second night of a back-to-back while the Avs are rested. That's good. But you have a team that's very high scoring and did score high and just had a bad game from their backup goaltender. And that happens. So I don't think that the Avs are going to avoid Vancouver's best shot. And that Vancouver's best shot right now is very impressive. We've, of course, taken a look at the University of Colorado basketball program as they had a big win over the weekend. They needed to do it to keep their hopes alive. Up in Fort Collins, the Colorado State Rams are doing what they can to give themselves a legitimate chance to make a little bit of noise. In March, they they were able to get to their 20th win on Saturday. We'll take a look at the Rams next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Great execution by Coach Danny Sprinkle and his team. Standing in the 1-3-1, I like it. Change of pace. Screen the back of the zone, throw it to Clifford, send it in. Great pass by Stevens. Nice screen. The call there by the folks at CBS Sports as uh, Nick Clifford, the former CU transfer, blossoming up in Fort Collins, helps uh, lead the way for a Rams big win up at Moby. They smashed the Utah State Aggies 75-55, to reaching 20 wins on the season. Isaiah Stevens, the top scorer, but the amazing part of this, Sandy, I've talked about this before with the Rams. Out of their last nine games, they have had eight different leading scores. 
uh, that's extraordinary diversity in your offense. And during that's that, the Nico Medved offense. Yes. And during that span of time, when you think about, okay, eight different leading scorers in nine games, you're generally thinking about a team that's probably not winning a lot of basketball games. They have won five of their last six. And they're now ranked 22nd in the country, back in the top 25 again this week off their uh, stirring victory over Utah State, 75-55, as you referenced, and all set on Wednesday night to go into the pit. Into the pit. New Mexico National TV, CBS Sports Network. Wednesday, that will be an 8 p.m. tip here. That feels like a tremendous opportunity for the Rams. It will obviously will not be easy. They call it a pit for the pit for a reason. We understand all of that. Both teams eight and five in mm-hmm. league play. Both teams 20, 20 and, and six. six overall. And both teams, by the way, only one out of first place in the Mountain West standings. Utah State, even though uh Utah was the team that held that and, and they just lost by twenty. So uh the Rams put themselves in a really, really good spot with that win. And that was a no question about it win. No. Uh, it, from the opening cruise tap, it seemed like control. they had it basically on cruise control. I, I thought you know, Stevens is back in early season, and here's mid-season the part that's, form, here's the part that's whatever crazy. you want to call it. They shot 45.2% for the field and only 17.4% for three. They went four for 23 from three and one by 20. Well, because they held they, Utah State to 38.6% shooting. They were the more committed team physically uh, I mean killed them on the the glass Uh, I mean 45-32 wasn't quite CU's domination over USC on the boards but 14-8 to on the offensive boards and 20 assists to only 11 turnovers in a game that was pretty nasty at times from a physical point nasty is probably too strong a word but it wasn't physical it was a physical contact but it was 20 assists and 11 turnovers against, for Utah State, 13 assists and 11 turnovers. Right. That was the, the difference in the game. And one team had Isaiah Stevens and one team didn't. And the team that had him uh, cruised. And Stevens only played 32 minutes. But he didn't out of actually, 40. he didn't shoot that well in that game either. Four for 12 from the field, but uh, found a way to get it uh, done. He commanded the game. Got to the line, uh, nine free throws, made eight of them. Uh, they looked they looked terrific. So the, really, it is all systems go for the now 22nd ranked Rams. The only thing, the interesting fly in the ointment, though, the, the late breaking news that happened today. Joe Parker, the athletic director from Colorado State, is stepping down and departed his position today. John Weber, a former alum, will now take over as the interim AD. Weber was the executive director of the Rams NIL group and will now become a special uh, uh so Parker is leaving to become a special advisor to university president, Amy Parsons kind of coming out of nowhere. The, the people that, that cover the Rams up there, you talk, you talk about the, the newspapers and, and uh, even our folks at Miley sports, Rich Kurtzman seems to come out of, seem to come out of absolute nowhere. So Parker now becomes uh, a special advisor to the university president. John Weber takes over as the AD Parker was hired back in March, 2015. Uh, the, the new, Canvas Stadium opened under his watch. Uh, so they, he's been there for parts of a 10-year stretch. Yeah. As, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, he, he then the, and he signed an extension back in 2022 that was supposed to keep him through 2027. 
So that part is interesting. He's also but this the sounds guy, like a promotion. It, it, it kind of does. Special advisor to the university not, not president. Not a guy getting out because he's being shoved or right. Of he's and I remember, by the way, at the time he uh, he was also the the AD when and they called it quote a climate assessment when Larry Eustachy was the head yeah. coach that led to Eustachy's outing and Nico Medved. Well, being see, at, and then look it, where they are it, now. It, this is it, this is where Joe Parker really. Shine. So I, I I think he got uh, the football coaching hire right this past time. I do too. I, there's another absolutely guy who was out of control. Eustachio uh, uh, is much better coach than the clown they had up there. Oh, Adazio, yeah, yeah, Adazio. Uh, but Eustachio was out of control and had to go. Uh, who was on the staff of Tim Miles in Colorado State had some real good years, and on Eustachio's staff. Nico Medved was, and after a couple of head coaching stints, then he came back to Joe Parker, remember, and he came back to CSU to be the head coach, and he is a marvelous head coach with an offense that is really his offense. It isn't a knockoff of of somebody else. It's kind of an amalgamation, and there is a terrific long-form piece that you should read if you haven't already that came out at the end of January in the athletic by CJ Moore, who in my opinion, along with David Aldridge, the two best writers at the athletic are CJ Moore and David Aldridge. Uh, They're basketball guys. Primarily Uh, Aldridge wrote one of the all time great pieces over the weekend on Oscar Robertson with the NBA all-star game. The only good thing about all-star weekend to me, apart from the three point shooting contest, uh, which was wonderful actually, uh, <laughs> the, the only good part of the game being in Indianapolis was the fact in Indianapolis didn't had nothing to do with Indianapolis. No, no. Indianapolis is a great basketball city, but the, the only thing that I got out of it was the three-point shooting contest and David Aldridge's wonderful long-form piece on Oscar Roberts, uh, which if you don't know anything, about Oscar Robertson or know very little, read this piece and you'll know everything you need to know about the greatness of Oscar Robertson, both as a player and as a human being. Uh, and, and what he did for the NBA um, with the Oscar Robertson led lawsuit in the 1970s. I think there are those in the game, including LeBron James, thankfully, who understand the history of the game and the role Robertson played in it on the court and off the court. The NBA wouldn't be what it is today without Oscar Robertson's contributions, both on and off the court. And Oscar Robertson, we were talking about Mahomes the other day. Is mm-hmm. you, get, you can't find a comparable quarterback, right, in the history of the game. He's, he's got a style uniquely his. There's nobody else who has ever played the position there is no one and remains to this day no one who played the game the way Oscar Robertson did. And there weren't point guards back then. And the thing people remember, and it isn't a bad thing to remember about Oscar Robertson, it's all the triple doubles, right? But it, it, getting to uh, the Nico Medved piece, it, which is equally insightful, and it, 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 it's C.J. Moore spending better part of, I don't know, five, six days 
inside the program with Nico Benbed with his assistants. And it comes during the period where they lose at Wyoming and lose the 11-point lead right. with 11 to play or just over a minute to play, 9-point lead with 40 seconds to play. And it comes right in the middle, and it is so insightful. And Nico Medved, you get the full picture of Nico Medved in this piece. You get him down, you get him up, and the piece ends with a win over San Diego State, which started this current run mm-hmm. that they've they've been on. And the point I want to make is that Nico Medved, also a great college basketball historian, always thinks both in good times and bad, of the old John Wooden line. And Wooden used to say that he wished every coach he liked could win one national championship. And he wished all the coaches he didn't like, Bob Knight, (laughs) could win multiple titles. Because a firing would inevitably ensue in almost every instance. Knight wore out his welcome at Indiana, finally, right? So I, I, I and and what he gets out of that line is, it's really hard to win. So let's not just gloss over this twenty-win Colorado State University no. basketball team, which may be maybe the greatest college basketball team they've ever put on the floor up in Fort Collins. Entirely possible, and we'll find out. Of course, they still have with games. maybe the greatest player ever to play at Colorado State University, and Isaiah Stevens, who's a fifth-year guy yep. who's played hundreds of games for Colorado State, and that State follows University. a, a very good player and could have, could have gone into the portal and gone to a Power Five conference and stayed. That's a hell of a. Speaking of an Oscar Robertson type of individual, he he's got the physique of an Oscar Robertson. I'm not saying he's Oscar Robertson but he's got the physique and he's got the kind of commitment to values that Oscar is always. I think that just like David Roddy before him, you know, I I get the, you know, it's six feet tall. There's a, there's a challenge there. Roddy was the height was a challenge, but I think whoever ends up a a smart NBA team is going to add Isaiah Stevens and be really happy with what they've done. He's physical. And in, mm-hmm. in, in all the best of ways, right? He isn't, you know, he isn't sneaky, dirty the way some Hall of Famers in the NBA have been. Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton. Uh, he he's just a hard nosed player, and no, he doesn't play all the time uh, with the shooting dexterity of of certain guards. But Jay Billis, who knows as much about college basketball as anybody on the planet other than Fran for sure, <laughs> who knows college <laughs> basketball well in the international game. But those, those are the two guys I listened to. And he said Isaiah Stevens might be the best guard in the country, all things considered. And there are a lot of good guards the Rams still presently have in, in the NCAA. Five more regular season games and then the conference tournament. And as you've pointed out, they're in one of the best conferences in the country. This has been a phenomenal run, and hopefully it continues. We'll there find are only out. two conferences projected to get more bids. Mm-hmm. And the th- this West. is this is Lenardi's deal, but I th- I think Jerry Palm too uh, has had uh, the Mount West getting six SEC and the Big Twelve. That's yeah. it. Those are the only conferences stronger stronger than the Mountain West, and you know the Big Ten's top team got knocked off. Something again. special 
again this weekend. So I had to, it's and, brewing so up it's in Fort Collins. Utah State, number one in the Mountain West, got lost routed. to CSU. And Purdue, number one in the Big Ten, also lost this weekend. Yeah, it's not quite March, but the madness seems to be starting. Ohio and, uh, State, a yeah. bad team. Yeah, so I mean, this they is just a good spot. just coach. For, for the uh, the Rams now, they have the big game on Wednesday, a monumental opportunity to make a statement. They've won five out of their last six, and uh, they do get another crack before the season ends at Wyoming to make up for that worst loss of the season. Over at, at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. And that means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I don't know what the over-under was at yesterday's All-Star game. I'm guessing the over-hit because defense is normally optional. Why would there be an over-under in an NBA All-Star Cause, game? Cause, it's incalculable. betting. People love to... Guess. Well, you might not have guessed the team was going to break 200 points before <laughs> Sandy talked about this uh, last week, that he was going to skip the All-Star game because it was basically unwatchable. It turns out he was exactly right, and I'm going to let him, uh, you know, puff out his chest a little bit. When we get back next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The NBA All-Star Game, the again, and it's been years. The the Saturday night with the three-point contest and make it I I enjoy making that. what you will the dunk contest. And I think why, it's been a couple why years Kenny the three-point got into this like Lady Smith. He, oh, they, he ruined it. Uh, he, he really Lawrence, did. He ruined it. He really did, actually. Uh, and, by, and, and you're talking and about the good Sabrina for Reggie Miller. and, yeah. and uh, Good for Reggie Steph Curry Miller in, in pointing out to him, hey, she wanted to shoot from the spot he shot from. It was great. Enjoy it. Like, oh, she should have shot from the ladies' well, tees. Well, and then what would have happened? Uh, it, which, it, by the way, let's say she shoots from the three-point line. Aren't called ladies' tees anymore. Yeah. Not at any no, golf they're, course they're, they're I play. just the different color tees you play at. They're, they're forward tees. Yeah. They're not called ladies' tees because the black, the many gold, the men yeah. do and should play from the forward tees. They'd have a lot more fun. They'd shoot better scores. The... The, 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 it's that just a stupid it was, by a smart guy. Kenny Smith really did mess that up. Thing that was terrible. I've I've ever heard an otherwise smart guy say. Because on top of that, what would the inverse would have been? Let's say that Ionescu knocks off Curry in the three point contest. What's the first thing you're going to hear? Oh well, she shot from the closer three right. point line, right? Which right. Ionescu knows, and that's exactly why that's she shot exactly from where she shot, she shot and made it pretty darn close. Absolutely. That was entertaining. I actually I thought, thought that was great. The dunk contest was underwhelming. Yeah. Again, oddly, uh, Mac McClung, the kid from Osceola Magic, yeah. won again and should have. Most creative player, but then yeah. again, it, that, that's sort of the larger problem. The three-point 
contest has it's become the fun. Only thing because that has stayed fun through the years. Because you can't get hurt. And guys are so worried about being hurt, and they don't get paid extra to appear that they're not going to get in well, the dump. They're not going to dump. Now now with the in-season tournament, they're saying, we won't play hard. I, I, was, I always thought, give Jalen Brown a little bit of credit, because at least you're talking about a guy that's a, it's a pretty notable player that tried to, that was in the dunk contest to give him a little credit for that. Um, yeah. You know, the other guys, Haquez is a rookie. I mean, you just have yeah. guys, that, uh, and yeah. and Brown did it. Well, I also like Jalen Brown for the fact that he spoke out. He said, "I'm, you know, I'm an honest player. I try to play hard every time I'm on the court, but I can't control what other people do. I mean, they, or words to that effect. I, I mean, right. I thought that there were one or two current players. You know how Jokic feels about this. Could, sham could the not game. care less. Uh, I mean, uh, the the, the Western play team but was trying Jaylen to get Brown him to dunk. Good. Right. Uh, Wasn't that funny? They were teeing him up to dunk left and right, and Jokic would not do it. He did finish with 13 points, uh, nine assists, four boards, and a couple of steals, uh, which amazingly in 23 minutes ended up being a minus nine because the Eastern Conference scored 211 points. Yeah. Uh, It's, look, uh, the the in-season tournament changed things. I know the money wasn't big enough for the stars to care that much, but it was for the second tier guys. I think the point is now, if you want these guys to play hard, you got to you got to pay up. And you're talking about the amount of money to make it interesting for the all stars, guys who have thirty, forty million dollar year deals. That quite frankly, it's not even worth having the all star game anymore. Really? Did, did you hear Silver after the game? Oh yeah. And you, you scored more congratulations, points. I guess. Oh, he didn't say I guess, but that was but his he, tone. He, didn't, he did say just you, you sco- East, you scored more points. Yeah, scored more points. Uh, nobody cared. It was an embarrassment. It's embarrassing to the game. The players don't care. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, the Carl Anthony Towns thing. He's like, ooh, it's a losing effort. I could drop a fifty burger, and uh, so that's what you know he does. Yeah. But otherwise, well, I mean, well, he. Didn't he say something? And I liked what he said. If if I I, I I have it right, he said he said though, fifty points for me in this game was about as easy as scoring fifteen points in a real game. Fifteen. Yeah, it is about as easy as scoring fifteen for me. Well, in a real game, scoring fifty today is like scoring fifteen in a real game. Scored thirty nine to lead the. East. Now, you want a guy who's sharpshooting, that would have been Tyrese Halliburton, who went 10 for 14 from three, but Lillard shot 23 threes. Who shot from around midcourt? Lillard. Somebody did. Lillard. Lillard hit early yeah. on from it. Actually, yeah, I mean, from well, he does practice that. I yeah, guess. but I mean, it's in a real game, he never takes The game was pointless. Just pointless. Yeah. Uh, this to me felt Absolute like, I, I don't remember the exact time that the year happened. But when I when I knew like I don't care about the Pro Bowl ever again, it was just like nah, it's forget it. Um, it's unsalvageable. And I, I did I did say on Friday because you're complimenting me for saying don't watch the game. I I said on Friday, and I think Silver felt this way too, obviously, that going back to East versus West might add a smidgen of competition. It, it did not. It did not. So to suggest that it was even a small step toward moving the game in the right direction was it's a la- in it's error. A, it's a layup line. Error. The guys are just horsing so around. So Silver and I were both wrong. And even, uh, and let's face it, maybe even leading the charge for some of that in, in realizing the game is a joke and not paying any attention to it uh, is Nikola Jokic. Yeah, sure. Who, who clearly sure. has disdain for the game itself, uh, has no interest really in playing in it, you could tell. I was okay just kind of going through the motions, but he's hardly alone. It's just that 
Jokic and company know it's a joke. LeBron James played 14 minutes. And he knows it's a joke. LeBron James. And and give him credit, too, because his comment after the game was essentially, nobody got hurt, so that's... That's the important part. That's all that matters. It's probably time to just retire don't, the All-Star game as it stands. It. Come don't up. You could throw enough money. You could cancel the game, and you could maybe throw enough money in the dunk contest or something yeah. to get guys back. Say, so, okay, right. fine. You know what? Win right. the dunk contest. Here's $5 million. Make it just a skill. Maybe somebody that may get a bunch of competition. Maybe the guys care about it. But the game itself, no point. But it's it, not you know entertaining. What? It affects contracts. Like Jamal Murray... Uh, for years, well, you maybe be his attitude an all-star and you're named an all-star, right, but right. we're not. They're not playing right. a game. But but I mean, to Jamal Murray, I, I mean, to the extent that he used to care about making it, uh, my question would be why. Well, I think it's valid. Why? It's validation, why? and and you know it does matter in your contract negotiations a, a little bit. Game, but yeah, the game I, itself. I know, is but it shouldn't be. That's what I'm saying. All NBA that I get. That yeah, I get. Just That's being an a body of work yeah. over an 82 game season. I get that. But just making an all-star team qualifies you in part for a super max contract. What the, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Does that mean? Good and catch. if I, you know, if I were Jokic, I don't even want to play in the game. He doesn't. You can tell. I don't even want to, I, I don't even want to get selected for it. No. Because getting selected means I got to have to play. I'd rather have, have time off. I'd rather go watch the horses. Well, well, the NBA All-Stars are doing nothing of relevance. Uh, local college hockey, and we we're talking, normally oh, we're talking yeah. about DU. Uh, we're not uh, this time. You're talking about no. the, uh, the, the, uh, the one coming up fast from behind on DU. Except they aren't behind. <laughs> not anymore. They're ahead of DU now. Even though DU beat CC earlier in the season Colorado twice college by huge margins. Went off this weekend. They went off against the team that I- I've seen this year in person and among all teams I've seen this year and I watch a ton of college hockey the two top ranked teams in the pairwise are Boston College Boston University right I have not seen Boston University I have seen Boston College and I saw Boston College play DU at BC early in the year and DU beat them Boston College is terrific uh young team DU's terrific, young team. Colorado College is the hot team in college hockey right now. North Dakota was the best team I've seen. And they're, this year. they're third in the pairwise. They, they, the they came mentioned. to DU a few weeks ago and they were great. And DU was very lucky to get points out of the weekend. Then they went up to Grand Forks and North Dakota clubbed DU twice. They come into the Springs. And CC knocks them off 7-1 and 6-2 on Friday night yep. and Saturday night, respectively. 7-1 and 6-2. CC is now in third place in the NCHC behind North Dakota and St. Cloud State and two points ahead of Denver with six games left, I believe, in the, in the season. DU plays home against Miami at St. Cloud State and then home and home with CC on March 8th and 9th. Uh, it won't be for first place, most likely, but it will be for seeded position. Those two games will have a real bearing, and CC has its best team in at least 17 years. They, they are great. They, they have, yeah, they they have as good a goaltender as there is in the country. Uh, witness this weekend only giving up three goals in two games, and now they can score. 
13 goals on North Dakota in two games. They made North Dakota look like a bunch of peewees. Yeah. I mean, Caden Emberico, the sophomore goaltender, now 18-9-1 with the goals against a 2.44. Uh, save percentage of 9-17. They, they are getting, oh. uh, I mean, they're, they're, they've looked really, And, I mean, really D.U. Good. went to Duluth and won uh, in overtime. They should have won young. regulation Friday, and they won on Saturday. It, DU's doing fine. DU is eleven six and one in league play, and overall twenty eight and two, and number five in the pairwise. But CC, which is back in the twenties in the pairwise, they beat North Dakota twice. They're now number eleven Top in the five country. In scoring on and their they're team. better than that. Noah Laba twenty eight points, sophomore. Gleb Veramayev twenty two, sophomore. Ryan Beck nineteen, sophomore. Will Logan, he's a senior. Uh, Zachary Wisdom, uh, sixteen points, freshman. That's their top five scores. They've rebuilt the program. Four of and them they're are, playing are in a wonderful. They're playing in a wonderful arena. And the goaltender's a sophomore. Okay. Well, <laughs> Barico's I mean, the be- he's the best goaltender in the country. Whoa. Hands down. Pay a little attention. CC is on the rise. College hockey, college basketball. Great time to be a college sports fan in Colorado oh, right now. One of the isn't best, it? One of the best I can ever recall, Absolutely. actually. Really remarkable. Thanks to Absolutely. Arif Dean from My Life Sports joining us to talk about the Avalanche. You can follow him. On social at Run Right Arif, that's uh, A-A-R-I-F. Tomorrow, uh, Ryan Blackburn will join us to talk about the Nuggets before they get their post-All-Star break schedule going. Thanks for everyone who called, uh, texted, interacted. Anyway, you, ca- uh, you caught the show, we always appreciate it, whether that's FM, Radio HD, whether you went to MyLifeSports.com or grabbed the Mile High Sports app and got it all in your pocket. Remember, by the way, us fans, I'll be at Number 38 in Rhino on Thursday for the uh, Avs and Red Wings watch party. And it is going to be a party. Danny Bailey's the man, the boot that makes everything work. The man to my left, Sandy Clough, is the reason you're here. I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back in 22 hours. But you should keep it right here because you've already found the right spot. You're at Mile High Sports. Send me away.